Well, there's certain things in life we know that something about them, something about the very nature of them and the way we interact with them creates a polarizing effect on how each individual encounters it. I think one of those things we've seen, one of those phenomenons in this modern world is these Marvel superhero movies. At this point, you're basically either in and somebody just said yes, so they're in, someone here. Uh, you're in because you gotta watch like 30 movies to know what in the world's going on, or, you, so, or you're out. And our lead pastor, he's definitely in. Uh, if you've listened to his messages for a while, he references them, and I know that some of you are in because you kind of lean in and light up, and then I see others just gloss over and go, I have no clue what he is talking about. But we love that about you, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> another one of them. I gotta be careful here, but essential oils. <laughs> you're in or you're out. Some of you are like, I don't even know what that is. I don't know if I could name three of them. And some of them have three of them on your person right now. <laughs> you got them in your hands, so you're ready. You're combining stuff and ready to splash on. If you get a headache or stressed out. So you're in or you're out. Well, the topic, and not even just the topic, the person that we're talking about today for some reason, I've found seems to have a polarizing effect on, people's, on people, on churches, even on full denominations. It is Pentecost Sunday, and on Pentecost Sunday, we focus on the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed that there are churches that are all about the Holy Spirit. Every Sunday is Pentecost Sunday at some churches. There you go. We got some Pentecostals here. I'll, be, I'll try to be ready. Uh, I went to, I remember the first time I went to one of those churches, my friend invited me and he told me in preparation, just so you know, we're a Holy Spirit filled church. And I said, I think, I thought I went to a Holy Spirit filled church. And he goes, no, you'll see. Uh, they were doing all the stuff that I was raised to not do in church. They were getting out of their seat and they were running around and yelling. And I was going, I would, I would be getting spanked for this if I do this growing up in my church, but there, everything, they're saying, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. And then some of you, and I would guess more of you, might have been in context that talk a ton about the glory of the Father God, the beauty of his majesty, the wonder that we worship him. He created us and he loved us so much that he sent his son for us. His son lived and died in our place. He rose again. Then there's the Holy Spirit. And then he's, Jesus is coming again. Jesus will come in glory. That is the story of scripture. And you go, wait, what was that? There was, what was that part? There's a third person of the Trinity. Now, wherever you're coming from, whether you are in a context where you go, why isn't Peace Church talking about the Holy Spirit every single week? Or if you're more in the category of, uh, the Holy Spirit's on the podium, but he's the bronze medalist. Like, let's not get crazy by bringing him up too much. On this Pentecost Sunday, we're going to dive deep into talking about the Holy Spirit. We don't focus on the Spirit every single week, but every time we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And every time we worship our God, we're talking about one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And each year on Pentecost Sunday, we take some time to really focus in on who is this Holy Spirit, what has he done in the church, and what is he doing in our church today. So please turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Last week, we talked about the ascension 
uh, we shared from Acts chapter 1, and this week we're going to do we're going to do just a quick overview of this whole chapter because while it could be easy to just focus on the arrival of the Holy Spirit because that's such a rich passage of Scripture, I think it's also important for us to always see what the Holy Spirit produces because it's not just that he arrived, but he did something and he is doing something today. So Acts chapter 2, you can follow along in your Bibles with me. Or you can uh, follow along. It'll be on the screen as well. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So pause here with me. We got introduced to this word Pentecost. It comes from this Greek word Pentecoste, which just means 50. This was another Jewish festival, another harvest celebration similar to Passover where we talked about, we talked about that on Palm Sunday and on Easter, but this is 50 days after the Passover. And Jews from all over the known world who had been scattered and who had grown attached to different cultures, who had learned other languages, all descended upon Jerusalem for this gathering, this festival, people from every nation and speaking every tongue. And we learned that the Holy Spirit showed up. The disciples were waiting. I, think, I wonder if they think, uh, are we going to know when the Spirit arrives? They knew. Wind rushing in, fire from heaven, and immediately they get up and they all depart and they go and they start speaking in languages that they had never learned, that they had never studied, that they had never known. The Holy Spirit had arrived. We're going to look at what the people's response, we read it going ahead to verse 12. If you look down to verse 12 with me, here's how the people responded. It says, and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're just filled with new wine right now. Peter though, standing with the 11, lifts up his voice and he addresses the people. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So first of all, we know that Peter had never been to Gun Lake on 4th of July because he says, people can't be drunk. It's, we're only three hours into the day. <laughs> the people don't push back. They, they receive that. And then he goes on to explain from the prophet Joel that these men are not filled with wine. This isn't drunkenness. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're not speaking gibberish. They're actually speaking other languages. People are hearing about the works and the wonders of God. Peter goes through some prophecies that would have connected with his audience. And then he jumps right to the heart of the matter. Look at verse 22 with me, where we hear just a snippet of his message to these people. Verse 22, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified him. You killed him 
at the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter doesn't pull any punches there. here. He says, you all killed God's son and he's back. Pretty serious message. Peter keeps going and keeps going, keeps drawing out more Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. But finally, we get to hear the people respond to Peter's Holy Spirit-filled message. Look at verse 37 with me. Here's how the crowds respond. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Get this, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The Holy Spirit arrives, the good news is proclaimed, and the church of God is born. This last section that we look at summarizes summarizes what church life looked like for these early believers, these thousands of new believers who stayed in Jerusalem and started this first local church. Here's what verse 42 says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your spirit descending, and your good news being proclaimed, and your church being formed, I pray that on this Pentecost Sunday, you would fill us anew with your Holy Spirit. You would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to receive this word today. God, we know that nothing transformative will happen today on our own account. No special words from me as a preacher, no special will or desire or action as those listening and receiving, but transformation can only come at your hand by the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. So God, we ask and we cry out and we beg you to pour out your spirit on us today. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all of this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're finishing up this very short series called Mission. We're looking at two parts here. Last week, we focused on the implications of Jesus ascending for our lives, asking ourselves, because he ascended, what does that mean? 
And we saw that it means that he's worthy of our worship, that he's sitting at the right hand of God and that he's interceding for us. But today we're going to switch that. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit because he descended, because the Spirit came down to us. What does that mean, both for the disciples in this early church, but for us today as his disciples in the modern church? So first and foremost, because he, the Holy Spirit, descended, we are never alone. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, you're paying close attention because we ended last week's message with this point. But we said, because Jesus ascended, we are never alone. And I'm sitting there, and if you missed it, it was actually my dad who was preaching. And I was sitting there going, Dad, what are you doing? You're getting into Holy Spirit territory. You're stepping on my turf. But I give him grace for two reasons. Number one, if you're here, you know, he talks about twice as fast as any other preacher I've ever heard. So he has to come up with double the content. So I give him a little bit of grace there. But also because you can't detach Jesus ascending to heaven and the Holy Spirit coming down and God's presence with us. Jesus may have gone away. He may be waiting to return, but Jesus actually looked at his disciples at one point and said, I tell you the truth. It's for your advantage that I'm leaving. It's a good thing that I'm going to go away. And for these guys who had walked around and followed God in the flesh for three years, They had to be thinking, there is no way it can get any better than this. We are literally physically following Jesus. We are hearing audibly the words from his very mouth. This is God with us. How can it get better than this? And Jesus says, just you wait. When the Holy Spirit arrives, my presence is going to be with you in a different way than you've ever experienced before. You know, Jesus was God, but he humbled himself to the form of humanity. And he could be only in one place at one time following these disciples around. But when he sends his spirit, when the fire comes down to that upper room, that same fire we saw in the Old Testament, in the burning bush, the the pure presence of God speaking to Moses, and that fire that we saw at Mount Sinai as the laws being handed out to God's people, here's how you obey and live in my ways. That same fire that we see, a pillar of fire come on the tabernacle to show God is with us. That fire comes down to the upper room. It doesn't stay in one place like the bush or the mountain, or the pillar, but it starts to split, and it starts to splinter, and it's not dividing, becoming lesser in its parts than it was as a whole. The full, pure, profound presence of God rests on each one of these individual disciples. If God was doing that right now, I would be seeing the flames on each one of your heads, and I would know God's presence is here, and he is with each of us. And they didn't stay in that room. Remember, they depart and they go to start speaking. These people gathered from the nations. And for the first time in this clear and profound way, God's presence stays with each one, even as they start to break away and separate, as they start to go out, even just in the city, as they start to spread, God's presence is with each and every one of them. Because he descended, we are never alone. 
We live in this time where there's more talk about loneliness than I've ever heard. And it makes sense. There was a period for varying degrees, wherever you lived and whatever your views were, there was more isolation um, than there had ever been. But can I tell you, loneliness has been around a lot longer than what we've been dealing with the last couple of years. I know as a pastor, even as we start to regather and start to come together, uh, loneliness is not going away. Uh, I think I see its effects, not just when people feel like they don't have a community, but I even see it when they have a community and they live in fear that they're missing out on something that their community is doing. We've come up with a name for that. We call it fear of missing out. I see it present when people who are even have great friend structures and family structures and they have people supporting them. They'll come to me as a pastor and say, I still just feel so alone. I think sometimes we've gotten things a little mixed up here. And don't get me wrong, I'm the community pastor. I love community. I love fellowship. That's part of my role is to gather us together. But if we think that that's the cure for that sinking pit feeling of loneliness in us, we're wrong. God certainly uses other people and fellowship and family and friends and church community to help as a medicine against our loneliness. That's God-ordained, and, and God works that out, but it's not the cure. The only cure, if you're here today and you are resonating at all with what I'm talking about, is understanding the profound truth that the Spirit of God is with you always. God is with you always. The real pure spirit of God. And sometimes we might think, ah, I just wish I had physical friend here, Jesus here with me. But God says the spirit is truly God and he is truly with you. Do you know that the Bible does not promise that your friends will never forsake you? It doesn't make that promise. Jesus certainly knew that, right? Going to the cross. You know, the Bible doesn't promise that your family life's going to be great. I mean, look at Joseph. He, he got thrown into slavery by his own family. Or look at Job. His family life was pretty great. And then God allowed for his whole family, essentially, to be taken from him. Do you know that the Bible doesn't even promise that if we follow Jesus faithfully, we'll never be imprisoned or isolated from our community? You can read all through the New Testament and see people who are faithfully following Jesus, and they end up deserted, isolated and alone, even in their faithfulness. But those saints through the biblical times and through church history who understood that through the presence of the Holy Spirit, because he descended, we are never alone. They can persevere because they know while God blesses us so much through community and fellowship, that is not the final word. That is not promised. But what is promised is the pure presence of the Holy Spirit with us always. And no one and nothing can ever take that away from us. Amen? Amen. Because he descended, we are never alone. That's not the only implication of the Holy Spirit's arrival on us. Because there's another word along with presence that I think is almost even more closely associated with the Holy Spirit. Because he descended, we are empowered. When the Holy Spirit arrives, we receive power. 
Jesus played a pivotal role in creating that association in our minds earlier in Acts chapter one. He says, when the Holy Spirit arrives, you will receive power. He prepares his disciples for this moment. And we certainly saw some of that power in what we read today. You see the power in the fire and in the rushing wind. You see the miraculous power in men speaking languages that they, shouldn't, they don't have any right naturally to know. But I think there's another way we see power in this chapter, in this initial forming of the church when they receive the Holy Spirit. That's a little bit more subtle and that we might miss if we forget who this individual is that stands before the thousands and declares, you are guilty, but God is providing a path of salvation. This Peter who stands and proclaims boldly is the same Peter who roughly 50 days earlier was asked three times, aren't you the guy who is with Jesus? Peter says, no, no, you're thinking of someone else. Someone else asks him, no, I, I think I saw you with him. You're a Galilean. I think you were with Jesus. Peter, no, no, not me. That, that wasn't me. I, I haven't been with Jesus. And then someone again says, no, I, I'm sure of it. That, that was you. I've seen you with him. I've seen you following. And Peter says, I have never met the man. I do not know him. I have nothing to do with this Jesus. Because he's afraid. That same Peter, after being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, stands and proclaims, not just to individuals asking him, but to thousands watching and listening, that he is not only with Jesus, but that you better get with Jesus, or else things are not going to turn out well for you. Now, what changed? We know he received the Holy Spirit, he had God's presence, he had God's power. Do you think that Peter wasn't still afraid? I don't know, the text doesn't tell us, but I got to imagine if just, you know, seven weeks earlier, if a, a young girl asked him, do you know Jesus? And he was afraid to give a truthful answer. I got to imagine as he stood in front of those thousands, he was still afraid, but he had the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have to live in his fear. He didn't have to submit to his anxiety. He could stand boldly and proclaim the good news of God because he had the Holy Spirit's power rushing through his veins. And it came like a wind rushing out as he proclaimed the good news. And that fire was alive in him, empowering him. We look at that passage that we read in verse 14. It says, Peter Standing with 11, he lifted up his voice after standing. And he said, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. He said, listen to me. And he boldly proclaimed the hope and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, I try my best. I, I never want Sunday mornings or any of my messages to really be about me at all. Uh, I, I'm the one speaking. I'm the one on stage. But I primarily want to focus on God and on his word, but I feel led by the Holy Spirit to share something with you as a group that I've shared with some of you individually, that I may be a pastor and I may be a preacher sometimes, but I am deathly afraid of talking to people about Jesus. I love him. I know he's Lord and Savior. I know that he calls me to do this, but every day I wake up, I worry about what people are going to think 
if I talk about Jesus. I, I worry that I'm going to get rejected. I worry that they're going to think I'm crazy. I worry that I'm going to lose my community. My neighbors aren't going to want to be around me. And maybe even my, my, some of my family and some of my friends won't have anything to do with me because I'll become the crazy guy who's always talking about Jesus. I, I'm afraid. When it comes to talking about Jesus, I am a coward. Even in a group like this, even in a church setting, I, I can't sleep the night before. I, I don't want to be the guy up on stage. I don't want the lights on me. I would rather be behind the scenes. When I've shared that with people, the first thing they usually say is, I think you picked the wrong profession. <laughs> say, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Because maybe my weakness is made perfect in the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe I don't need to be bold. Maybe God will do that for me. Maybe it's okay that I'm afraid right now because what gets put on display is not my courage or not any charisma, nothing about me, but just that this is all the Holy Spirit because I don't want to be doing this left to my own devices. I don't like all you guys looking at me and either <laughs> nodding or not nodding and laughing or not laughing. I'd rather just be sitting there. But for me, I feel God has called me to speak boldly, and he's providing the power of the Spirit to do it. Now, many of you are not called to stand up in front of a group, either here at a church or out on a street corner, but God's calling you to boldly proclaim somewhere to someone. It might be just in your own family. It might be with your friends. It might be in your neighborhood. It might be in your community. But I can assure you that whatever God has called you to proclaim in whatever context, to share his good news, I can assure you that his presence is with you. Even if everyone else abandons you, you will not be alone. And I can promise you that his power will pull you through. And that actually in those moments where you feel the weakest and the most scared, it provides the best canvas to put the Holy Spirit on display for the world to see. Because he descended, we are empowered. And there's one more thing that I think God wants to show us today. We don't speak just to only be faithful. That's a starting point. God always calls us to be faithful, but it is also our hope and our prayer that by God's grace, we would also be fruitful in seeing many people not just hear about Jesus, but come to know and believe and follow him and to be filled with the Holy Spirit themselves. Because he ascended, we know that we can fulfill our mission. God has called us to spread this good news as Peter did and as this early church did. Look again at the end of Peter's message, what happened here. It says that after speaking, oh, I, I skipped this verse. It says that after speaking, 3,000 people came to be followers of Jesus. 3,000 people in a day. If you feel a little overwhelmed by some of the growth that Peace Church has been experiencing, imagine 3,000 people in one day. God, through his spirit, through his presence, and through his power, he's filling up his church, isn't he? He's fulfilling the mission through us. And as we look at this last section of Acts 2, we see the resulting church that comes. And I've been around long enough as a pastor to have a lot of different people bring this specific 
passage, this end of Acts 2, and I'll hear something different. I'll hear something similar every time. They'll say, wow, I just wish when I read about what, what happened with this early church when they received the Holy Spirit and when the new believers were coming in, I just wish that our modern church could be more like that early church. And they'll point me to passages like, look at verse uh, 43. They'll say, they'll say, look, it says, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Say, I wish we just had more wonders, more signs, more miracles pouring out. I'd say, I get that. I understand that desire. Or they'll look at verse 44 and they'll say, look at this. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, any who had need. And I'll hear, oh, I just wish we as a church were more open-handed. I wish we shared more openly and generously. I would say, me too. It's a beautiful sign of unity and provision in the church. I hope for that too. Or even they'll say, look at verse 46 here. It says, day by day, they attended the temple together and they broke bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And they'll say, I wish we gathered more for fellowship. I wish we had more meals and more hospitality, more time gathered as the church. And I'd say, amen. I'm all in on that. I'm on board. But I've rarely had anyone point out verse 47 and say, I just mourn some of the disconnects I see with this early church and our modern church. In verse 47, it says, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. New converts, new followers of Jesus, new people receiving the salvation and the hope and joy and love of Jesus that comes with it. New people getting filled with his Holy Spirit to be sent out on mission. Not just a couple people each year or maybe one or two a month, not even every Sunday, but every day in between, new people were being introduced to Jesus. New people started following Jesus. New people were being filled by the Holy Spirit. I wanna be a part of that kind of church, amen? I wanna be on that mission. I've been talking with different church leaders through this season. It's been a season in, not just in Peace Church, but in a lot of different churches of just where people have been reshuffling a little bit. All that's going on in our current events is causing people, some people to stay at their church, some people to seek out a new, new church family to be a part of. And we've had to respond to that. We've had to reorient our worship center. We'd have to explore uh, expansion, multiplication strategies. And um, I had somebody say to me, but that, that, that phase is kind of coming to a close now. There's, some, there's gonna be some normalcy uh, coming back to the church. And so we don't need to like, look out to the future as much for, and create more space and be ready for more people. And I thought, you know, that's a really sad perspective because we're not just talking about people going from church to church. That's fine. We need to go where God's called us. If you're called to stay at your church, stay. If you're called to leave, leave. But what all of us, regardless of if you've been here for 50 years or if you're new in the last three months, my hope is that all of our hearts would desire to see new believers in our community. 
So our hopes are not to slow down because there are so many people out there who do not know Jesus. There are so many people who feel alone and they need to know that you can receive the presence of God with you that will never leave you even if everyone else does. There are so many people right now living in their weakness, feeling like there's nothing I can do. I don't think I have purpose and even if I did, I probably couldn't do it because I don't have any power. We can introduce them to the power that only comes through the miraculous arrival and filling of the Holy Spirit. We have a mission as a church and we can fulfill that mission, not of ourselves, not because we're special or talented or or especially chosen, but because the Holy Spirit of God is here at Peace Church. And I'm gonna ask you and I'm gonna beg you to not just on this Pentecost Sunday, but as we move forth, to continue to pray that the Holy Spirit would just keep pouring out on us as a church and on every member. And as you go around and look at one another, I pray you would see that flame of the Holy Spirit present on each person. You would see it when you look in the mirror, when you remember that you are filled. You have the presence of God because he descended. And you have the power of the Spirit because he descended. And because he descended, we can and we will fulfill the mission he's called us to. Amen? Amen. Would you stand up and pray with me? Father God, you have put a call on our lives and a call on this church. You have given us a mission to go into our community and to go into the world, to be filled with your spirit, to boldly proclaim your good news, and to build your church. God, we humbly come to you just interceding for our community, for our nation, for our world. We need healing in so many areas and so many facets of life. And we know that true healing comes solely from your hand. It comes when we understand that we are loved and that we are taken care of and that you have sent your presence to be with us through the Holy Spirit. You have empowered us and that you have given us a purpose. God, I pray that our community and our world would know that you have a calling on their lives. You have a mission. And what you've called them to, you will supply what they need through your Holy Spirit. God, as we call out and as we pray and lift our hearts, asking you to heal our land, we know that only comes by the grace of the Father, through the forgiveness of the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray and we seek you today. We pray this in your name. Amen.